Wow, good stuff, good stuff. If you have your Bibles or devices, turn to Exodus 20. A few weeks ago, we started a series on the Ten Commandments, and I'll tell you, it feels like a year ago we started that, but uh, we're going to go back to that. The first commandment is what? You shall have no other gods before me. God is first. How do I know if God is first in my life? I gave you a five-word acrostic as a self-test for God's priority. F is your focus. What's the focus of your life? What do you think about a lot? What are your goals? What are your purposes? Your, your mission statement. He is, should be your focus. Eyes your income, where your treasure is. That's where your heart will be. Is God glorified with your money? Are your money habits, habits wise? Do you give uh, generously? You know, do you have a giving heart? Relationships is R. God determines how I treat others. Because God forgives, I'm going to forgive. Because God loves, I'm going to love. God, God should affect my marriage. It affect my family life, my friendships, my neighbors, every relationship, even people that don't like me. It should affect my relationship with my enemies. S is security. He's the one I trust. When I worry, it shows a lack of faith. And T is time. He is the owner of my days of this earth and I will use my time in ways to honor Him. Now, this message today is for everyone, of course, but particularly, I'm going to speak to you men, and I'm including young men, too, junior high, high school boys. Uh, we have bracelets today with three words on them. It says, I am second. And I got this idea from Michael Wakeman. He had one of these, and I never did ask him what it was about or where it came from. But it's pretty obvious what it's about. I am second to Jesus Christ. Jesus is my focus. He is first. And Jesus calls the shots in my life, in my relationships, with my time, my security. And today, we want to challenge you men to take this as your motto. I am second. I am second to Jesus. I am second to serving others. I am second to my wife and family. I am second to His kingdom and His will and His desires they come first. And if you are married or have a girlfriend, I guarantee you 95% of the women in this church would love for you guys to be second. <laughs> Ellen says, we want our man to be the leader, even if we women are bossy. Ellen's not bossy. <laughs> so, we are calling on you men in a way to be first responders. Responding to Jesus by saying, I am second. He is first in every aspect of my life. He laid down His life for me, and I'm going to live my life for Him from now on. It might mean some changes. It maybe means that you're going to give yourself to some kind of ministry or maybe a new devotion and outlook on your family or your marriage. Maybe it's a renewed commitment to, to, to God's church. Whatever it may be, we want you to, re, to wear this as a testimony to where you're at, who's first in your life, and really a testimony for when people ask you what it's about. This is a time in our culture and a time in our nation and a time in our church for men to not be timid. In fact, I don't know of any healthy churches, I don't know of any that don't have godly men that are making Jesus first. So uh, we're going to have these down front. We'll have you come and get them at the end of the service uh, and make a public commitment to make Him first. And again, this is men only. Ladies, I had one lady complain about it this morning. So you got the if conference, go to that. So anyway, this is not saying, guys, this is not saying you're making a commitment to be perfect, okay? This is not saying that you're not going to fail in some ways, because you will, but you are saying, this is my goal, and I want him to be first. I am second, 
I just recognize I am second to Jesus, and I am second to my family, and to God's church, and to my neighbors. It's basically, that's what the first commandment is about. You shall have no other gods before me. Then the second commandment says, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above, or on the earth beneath, or in the waters below. In other words, don't make idols. And this might seem pretty irrelevant today, but really it's one of the most relevant. John Calvin declared that mankind is a veritable idol factory. We mass-produce idols. And there's actually two kinds or two categories of idolatry. One is worshiping other gods. You know, polytheism was everywhere in ancient culture. They had many gods. But today we still have many gods as well. Uh, we may not have little figurines, but we have a god of money and the god of work and leisure, etc. And, and they compete for God's priority in our lives. And that's the main issue of the first commandment. You shall have none of these other gods before me. Money will not be your God, and work will not be your God, and your kids will not be your God, your spouse will not be your God. He is your God. He is first, and your focus above all else. And trust me, your family will see a difference. Then the second kind of idolatry is images of the one true God. When Israel was in the wilderness and Moses was up on the mountain receiving these Ten Commandments, Aaron was down below with the people and they were getting a little restless and rambunctious and finally he said, i got to do something. So he builds this golden calf and says, this is the God who brought you out of Egypt. Now Aaron had the right God, but he reduced him to an image. So idolatry can be, first of all, about worshiping false gods and other gods, or it can be about worshiping the true God in a false way, making an image of Him. And this second commandment, I believe, is really about both. Don't replace God with other gods, and don't reduce God by making an image of Him. Now, like I said, we don't have any figurines of God or Jesus around, you know. Um, actually, I do have Jesus down here. We'll talk about that. But what does this commandment have to do with us? See, an image does not have to be stone or wood. In fact, stone and wood images all begin with mental images. And this is the application today. The danger of forming wrong mental images about God. The disciples did this. They did not make wooden idols, but they did have their mental image of what the Messiah would look like. And when Jesus came and said he was going to die on a cross, Peter rebuked him and said, the Messiah doesn't do that. The Messiah doesn't look like that. He had the wrong mental image. So this commandment goes after the tendency to shape God into an image that we want and that we hope that He is. We want a God who is like us and thinks like us and agrees with us. We want to reshape God to fit our needs and wants. So this commandment is a prohibition of creating a user-friendly God, a God that we want or rather than the God who is. The God who is is uncontrollable. The God who is is terrifying in many ways. The God who is says and does things we don't understand. And we're more comfortable with a lesser God. We'd rather have a tame God. And that's why some people believe in God, but they don't go to church. They want to form their own version of God. It's idolatry. But there's people in the church that do the same thing. I don't understand why God would allow to happen what happened to that six-year-old over in Lincoln. Why is that life taken away? I don't get it. It just doesn't fit my image of God. Well, that's because my image of God is inadequate. All of us. All of us have broken this commandment and have reduced him in some way. Now, you've probably heard about the four personality types that people can be categorized into. 
and they're named after animals. There's the otter, the beaver, the lion, and the golden retriever. And every, just about everyone can be categorized as one of these four. A lion is a direct, visionary, leader-type, abrasive at times. The beaver is the worker and gets things done and task-oriented and busy, busy, busy. The otter is fun and playful, and the retriever is friendly, loyal, and people-oriented. And the golden retriever in our culture is the most liked and most appreciated. And I got to thinking about that. That just so happens to be our culture's view of God. God is a golden retriever. He's friendly and nice and loyal and forgiving and lovable and always available whenever you want Him. He'll come whenever you holler for Him, you know. But God's not a lion. God wouldn't be direct or abrasive, would He? Well, He actually is called a lion in the Bible. And God's certainly not an otter because He's no fun. And so we limit God to our own cultural lens, and we all do it because it's easier to shape God into our image than to be shaped into His image. If I have to be shaped into His image, that means I have to change, and I, I need to adjust my life to His way. That means I can't call the shots anymore. God calls the shots. And most people, uh, they, they want to say, I am first, rather than God is first. Now, if you get on social media... Uh, most of it, when you really look at it and kind of analyze it a little bit, most people when they post is about what? Me. Well, I went out tonight and had some amazing shrimp. And my first reaction is, who cares? <clears throat> Did my laundry today. So? In fact, when Facebook first came on, I got on, I couldn't believe what was put on there, you know. And then the one that really, I don't know if it's the most gross to me, but pick these women with pictures of their toenails. Who cares? I guess they do and think somebody will. But you think about it, they're all about me. Look at me. See, the biggest idol is me. Most of us, most people are wearing a wristband, uh, invisible wristband that says, I am first. It is the natural way of humanity. And research shows that social media makes us less social and more self-centered. So we're going against the grain on this commandment, on both these commandments. And our call today from these commandments, it's not about me. I am not first. I am second. Jesus is first. God is first. Others are first. His kingdom, His gospel is first, not me. What's the problem in most marriages? I am first. If everybody said, I am second, make a difference. And God says in this commandment, do not reduce me, do not trivialize me, do not make false images of me, you let me be God, and let me be the Lord of your life. I am the commander, I am the master, and I am the best thing for you. And I would contend the two main sins today, and probably the two main sins of all human history, are in these first two commandments. We worship other gods, like money and power and popularity and family and self and entertainment and sports and whatever else is first in someone's life. The first commandment addresses that one. And the second main sin for most people is we try to make the one true God into a user-friendly God. We reduce Him so we can call the shots. Well, God would be fine if I did this. God wants me to be happy, so God would let me do this. No, no other gods, and don't trivialize Him. Now, someone showed you a picture of a pig. I said, wow, just looking right at me. If someone showed you that picture said, that looks just like you. I'm not going to name any names, but uh, 
you'd be really, really, really offended. You know, every time I see this pig, I think of you. And you know, when we reduce God, I wonder if God wants to shout down and say, that's pretty offensive. Say, that's not me. That's not me. Look at my word and look at my son. That's who I am. Get rid of the images. Now, there's more to this commandment than just verse 4. Notice as we read the kind of God he is. He says, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents of the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Well, that doesn't sound like my God, does it? But showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments, that's better. See, there's three descriptions of God in here that a lot of people struggle with, three descriptions that make some people uneasy and don't, doesn't fit their image. One is he's a jealous God, and it's almost embarrassing to say something like that. It sounds like an oxymoron because we associate jealousy with insecurity and immaturity. It's not a virtue. That, that just doesn't fit our image of God. And yet over a dozen times in the Bible, God is called jealous. Is jealousy ever good? Absolutely. If you really love somebody you're going to be jealous of anything that threatens that love. I remember the perfect couple in high school, Greg and Patsy. Greg was an athletic star, tall, good-looking, smart, everything I was not. I was jealous of him. Patsy was a cheerleader and pretty and popular and could sing. And, and these two dated all through high school, but their relationship got stale. I, and I suspected they stayed together because they were expected to stay together. And one time, she went out with another guy behind Greg's back, cheated on him. Here's the kicker. When Greg found out, he didn't care. And then she really got mad because he did not care. He was not jealous. She knew. I mean, there's something wrong with this relationship when there's not some jealousy, when there is a threat. So jealousy can be a sign of love. Now, jealousy can be a sign of immaturity as well, of course, But God's love for us and our love for Him is to be exclusive, no other gods, and He wants to protect that relationship. God wants an exclusive relationship with you, not because He's immature, not because He needs you, but because He wants an exclusive relationship with you because your love and your loyalty is rightfully His. He wants the best for you, and the best thing for you is Himself. So when you wear this I am second, you are not demeaning yourself. You're fulfilling the role you were created for, and you will be all you can be. He's also a just God, punishing sin to the third and fourth generation. And that's another thing we don't hear a lot about, a punishing God or His wrath and justice. Golden retrievers don't punish. But Hebrews 10.31 says it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. We don't talk about a terrifying God either. See, we live in this culture where we have safe zones on college campuses. You know, so, you know I can't handle anything that disagrees with my worldview. And we're, we're in a culture where preachers have to be careful what they preach. You don't dare preach the whole God because mo- a lot of people couldn't handle it. And today, we want a soft God, a feminine God who wouldn't send anyone to hell, a pink God. Some say the God of the Old Testament, yeah, He was mean and harsh, but Jesus was different. Really? People who think Jesus was soft haven't read Jesus. He talked about hell more than anyone in the Bible. He threw furniture around in God's house one time. He's the one that said that you may have to hate your family. That's pretty rough stuff. 
You know, the local Christian radio station, which I like very much, is said to be family-friendly. Well, Jesus wasn't always family-friendly. He told one guy, you have to forget about going to your dad's funeral. You don't go and bury your dad, you come follow me. That wouldn't be a very good Father's Day sermon. He told all of us to take up a cross. In other words, take up an instrument of torture and death. I mean, he just wasn't pink. So what do we do with those teachings? We say, well, he didn't really mean it. Not Jesus. I mean, what he really meant was, and we redefine him and make him fit what we want him to be, and that's reducing, that's idolatry. Punishing to the third and fourth generation is a warning. He's saying, if you put me off to the side and decide not to give me center stage, you will lose your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. There's going to be a ripple effect. Generations to follow will suffer because you reduce God or refuse to follow Him. And you say, well, that's not fair. The kids shouldn't have to suffer because of the parents. And I agree it's not fair, but it's true. I don't understand multi-generational punishment. I'm not sure what this is about, but I do know about multi-generational consequences. Some of you know about it. You've had to deal with the consequences of your parents, and they have their parents, and it's come down to you. And it's not fair, but it's true. So for the sake of your children and grandchildren, worship God. Don't reduce me. That's the warning. But here's the promise. Showing love to how many generations? A thousand. If you let me be the center, let me be the source of your life, allow me to be the God that I am, look who will be blessed. Look at the ripple effects. Children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, nieces, nephews, neighbors, other people, maybe even your enemies, just list goes on and on of who will be blessed. His blessing will flow through you to many. Which leads to the third truth about God. He is a gracious God. A thousand generations. In other words, forever. His love goes on forever. Sin is harmful, it's destructive, and its effect lingers for several generations, and God will deal with it, but His love is even more. But believe it or not, there's some people who struggle with a gracious God. They have a rigid, unbending God. I had one man in one church tell me, well, God is not lenient. And it was a man who didn't show much leniency in his life. And grace, by definition, means we don't get what we deserve. It sounds kind of like leniency to me. Now, that doesn't mean that God compromised His holiness or His standards, but it does mean He forgives and we're off the hook. And there's some people who just cannot accept this concept of grace. It's not fair. That's right. Some people don't think God can forgive them. I've been so bad, God could never be that gracious. Well, if your God's not big enough to forgive you, He's not the biblical God. Or if He's not big enough to forgive someone else, He's been reduced. I love this statement by Tim Keller, the gospel in a nutshell right here. Here's the gospel. He says, you're more sinful than you ever dared to believe. And you're more loved than you ever dared to hope. That's the gospel in a nutshell. Now, there's other mental images we have of God that reduce Him. God's a Republican. God's a Democrat. I got a doubt if God wants to be either one. Uh, there's the God of my experience. My feelings determine how I feel, you know, who He is. God of my understanding, what I think determines Him. And He's just been reduced. And the only way to come closer to this true God and to who He is is through His Word that He revealed, through His Son that He sent, through the Holy Spirit that lives in you, and through His church, His community. Those four, the Word, the Son, the Spirit, the church, will help you get a better view of who this God is. Now, let me switch gears for a moment. Okay. 
I've got this uh, ceramic figure of Jesus praying. Is this an idol? It sits in my office. Someone gave it to me years ago. Uh, some of you have pictures of Jesus in your home or maybe a cross. Uh, we sometimes have a cross up front. We don't write to, right now anyway. I preached that one church would not allow something like that. They would not allow pictures of Jesus. They would not allow a cross up front because they considered that idolatry. So are these images wrong? Well, the Bible is filled with symbols and art that were sanctioned by God. The Ark of the Covenant, for instance, represented God's presence with Israel. There was a bronze snake in one instance where it showed God's salvation. The tabernacle and temple was filled with symbols and images. The Lord's Supper is symbolic that we're going to take in a little bit, baptism is, and they're all divinely sanctioned, they're all scriptural. Idols were designed to control the God and uh, control the power of the God, and they reduced Him. Symbols, like the cross and the Ark of the Covenant, are not designed to limit Him or to control Him. They're visible reminders, and these reminders can become idols. The Ark of the Covenant did at one time, became a magic box. Israel thought they could go into war and win because they had the magic box with them, and God said, well, I'll show you. They thought they could manipulate him through that box. It became, they reduced him to a box. So this prohibition against images does not necessarily apply to visual arts because we find some of that in the Bible, but they can become, those visual things can become wrongly used. I do not worship this ceramic figure, but it's, it's a good reminder. Jesus was a man of prayer in his struggle in Gethsemane. So the big danger today is not figurines or pictures. The big danger today is the mental, the mental image. So here's my definition. An idol is anything which keeps us from paying attention to the true God. Anything. No image can capture Him. No doctrine can fully explain Him. In one sense, all of our thoughts of God are inadequate. But there are two images of God in the Bible. One is you. You are made in the image of God. Monkeys are not made in the image of God. Your dog or cat, as wonderful they may be, are not made in God's image. In fact, cats are made in Satan's image. <laughs> in my opinion, you were created to be like God, you. You were made to be with God and in God. You want to be the best person you can be? Then make God first. Then the second image is Jesus, Colossians 1.15, Christ is the image of the invisible God. Colossians 1.19 says, in Christ dwells all the fullness of God. So do you want to know God? Read and learn Jesus. Look at the Gospels. Don't dilute it. Don't reduce it. I mean, Jesus will blow your socks off if you read it right. Say, whoa, whoa, this is not the Jesus I thought he was. This is high voltage stuff. And the best way to learn Jesus is in his word in a group. So I want to encourage you, get into a Sunday school class, get into a small group, get into a Bible study. Uh, it'll just help you get a better, well-rounded view of who this God really is. So the first commandment, don't replace me. And the second commandment, don't reduce me. I am second. Men and young men, this is your time to make a decision and say, He is going to be first in my life. Now, I just started wearing this this past week. And it really is a good reminder. I am second to my wife. So last night, I rubbed her feet. I hate rubbing feet. But I'm second. Oh. There was someone who's kind of annoying to me this past week. I'm second. 
it's really a good reminder. It'll help. So we're going to sing, and we're going to have everybody come forward for communion. We've got communion down front, so everybody come down and serve yourself. But we also, I'm going to have uh, some elders at these two baskets here, and they have a I am, I am second bracelet, and also a little card that reminds you of what it means to make him first. And guys, we want you to consider taking one. Don't take one if you don't mean it. And don't not take one because you're not going to be perfect. We know that. But you're ready to say, Jesus is going to be first in my life, and I am second. So like I said, elders will be down front here. So come and take communion. And then guys, whoever uh, wants to receive one of these bracelets, we invite you to do that. Let's pray. Lord, you are first. You are above all and worthy of all our praise worthy of all our devotion, and worthy of all our commitment. You are infinite. We are finite. You are eternal. We are but a mist. You are holy. We are not. You are perfect. We are not. And so you are first. And we know our understanding of you is limited, and yet you have revealed enough of who you are that we know you are jealous for our love. And we know you are a just God who hates sin and the destruction that it does. And we know you are a gracious God whose love goes on forever and ever. We just know you are a God worthy of our allegiance. You are first. So I just pray for all of us. I pray especially for our men. That you will be glorified in each one of our lives. And it's in Jesus' name we do this. Amen.